This is your field is our office. I'm field agronomist for South Central Minnesota, Jay Zilski, and with me this afternoon is uh, Ashley Storby, a fellow field agronomist to myself and producer of the podcast. Ashley, how are you doing this rainy afternoon? You know, I'm doing good, Jay. Thank you. I feel like my my head is swimming a little bit because we had a good run of harvest, and now this morning, like many, I'm sitting down trying to unravel performance information and and make summarization. So it's really fun, but my brain is definitely swimming with numbers right now. <laughs> well, that's good, you? Ashley. And and listeners, Ashley is in charge of the uh, data collection and preparing some of the the charts in tables for our agronomy summary book this year that we published for South uh, East Minnesota. And my chore is working on the, the soybean side. So the big job is the corn side. Okay, So I'm kind of like an apprentice. So and it's, it's kind of like, you know, eventually I'll hit the big leagues and be able to work on the, on the corn information. And, and um, we'll have Ashley summarize some of that information and uh, share some of her observations. But I wanted to lead off Ashley with, you know, saw an interesting um, bit of information coming from the uh, weekly uh, crop and weather update from the Southern Research and Outreach Center in Waseca yesterday. So that'd be uh, Wednesday, uh, the 11th of October here. And they had the season ending growing degree unit accumulations. And uh, this year, the final tally, because we had that killing frost, was 2,932 growing degree units. And so if that sounds like a big number to everybody, that is, in fact, a, a big number. It is actually the fourth highest growing degree unit accumulations for growing season that they've recorded there um, at Waseca. So those are some interesting numbers. And, and actually, what I thought was interesting about that ties into some of the observations I've been having from the field um regarding late planted soybeans actually replanted or late planted soybeans because we had that planting delay in the month of may and then also some late planted corn or replanted corn the latter part of may and and i think you know the numbers coming out thus far have been really pretty impressive where there's actually been a couple of situations where um those later planted fields latter part of of may uh yielded every bit as good but in a number of situations, better than the early planted corn and early planted soybeans. And, and so I think one of those things, uh, I, I think, is just the fact that most years, our biggest challenge with really late planted corn or replanted corn is, can we get the crop mature before that first killing frost? And, you know, I, I did a little bit of math and that 2,932 growing degree units, um, if we factor out, um, you know, uh, planting delay to the end of May this year, in a lot of cases, that crop still experienced, oh boy, about 25 to 2,600 growing degree units, which would be actually every bit as much, if not slightly more than uh, normal growing degree units. That number was was about 423 above the uh, the long-term average. So interesting information regarding growing degree accumulations and in that later planted or replanted corn and soybeans, Ashley. Um, any observations that you've had um, similar to that or what's been your experience? Yeah, yeah, I really appreciate those examples. I 
as I've been assimilating our data sets on corn, um, I'm beginning to see we have 30 locations um, harvested in the system right now. And as you look at the trend of planting date to yield, there is a slight upward trend to average yield as we got later in the season for planting date. Um, so that's really interesting. It, it speaks to what you mentioned on some of the later corn planting dates being just as good or, or in some cases better than the early planting dates. And when you think of our early dates included the 412 to 414 timeframe, and then there was a run at the end of April, and then a lot of plant plots going in in May. The things that those early planting dates endured from sitting in the cold, having some reduced stand, and then those big rain events that happened it was around Mother's Day that triggered the replant, um, in some cases caused some crusting in some plots too. Then those subsequent planting dates, the only thing that was holding against them was the calendar because the stands were great there in the third week and beyond in May, but we needed those GDUs and we got them. So our data is trending officially the same as you mentioned, Jay. And and then as you, we talk about beans too, um, I have gotten less observations on the early versus later planting, but more feedback on early versus later maturities, Jay, right. that, that early, relatively earlier maturities were performing as good or better than some of the later maturities. Have you been getting feedback, anything like that? It's one of the things we're beginning to see as some of the plot and field results come in, Ashley, is it seems to me that that tipping point on soybeans seems to be, we get beyond roughly that 2.2 maturity one of those very full season soybean varieties where then, you know, it's not like you fall off a cliff, okay? It's not like you fall off a cliff as far as yields, but they begin to taper off. And I think it, to me, that makes perfect sense. If you think of how this growing season finished as we got into the month of September, beans and corn were making that, that final push. The fuller season varieties had that much further to go and you know they experienced those challenges with the, the the hot dry weather that was pushing them to the finish and they had further to go and so you know i think it it makes sense that we're seeing that on those uh, fuller season uh soybeans um ashley and and you know in, in just a minute we'll maybe transition to to hear you know what you're seeing in the data on fuller season corn but i want to tie back just quickly as well to, you know, you commented about it appears that there's this slight uptick in corn yields as we go to a slightly later planting. And, you know, we will have that information at Agronomy Summary Book. We produce that information every year. So when that book comes out, people will have a chance to get a historical perspective. Um, you mentioned the fact that, you know, in some cases it was, you know, we maybe didn't have quite as good of stands established. That crop had to endure some of those challenges of that wet weather um, right around Mother's Day. And it was an interesting conversation we had with one of our colleagues, uh, Dr. Larry Osborne, this morning talking about some soybean diseases. And one of the diseases that I've been uh, coming across the last several weeks here has been uh, diaporthe in uh, soybeans and in our conversation with him this morning and it actually gets verified uh, from with a grower observation as well is that it goes back to that front side of the season so that 
although we didn't see the the these challenges in the death of the soybeans before they totally finished um, a pod and, and seed fill, infection occurred during that period of time where it was kind of wet and stressful. You know, seemingly the beans came through it, but as he he refers to it, there was already a deposit made in what he calls the soybean disease bank account. And hmm. you just keep on adding little deposits, which are negative, <laughs> with regard to soybean plant health. And the interesting thing, Ashley, was the grower that we were talking to about this particular uh, disease then related that he had some later planted beans, again, that did significantly better than his early planted beans, exact same variety. They didn't have to endure that wet stress that we had on the front side of the season. And so, you know, what does a person take away from that? Ashley, it isn't like, well, I learned my lesson now. I'm not going to go in and plant early. Uh, yeah. you know, that's not it. But it just it just tells you, just shows you the variation from one growing season to the next, how, you know, the environmental conditions can play such a role one year with uh, early planting beans, you get a different year and it'll be a totally opposite result. Wow. That's so interesting, Jay. You know, we hadn't talked about this, but earlier this year or earlier this week, I had an experience looking at some final yield results on soybeans from a customer that had some beans planted very early um, and then a subsequent run of planting dates after the rain in May. And his same variety was getting beat the the May later May planting date was getting beat by about 15 bushels and it was the same variety. Of course, we're looking at different farms, so that makes things a little more challenging, but same uh, tillage, um, both no-till. And so you could expect his his early planting date was even cooler than some of the, the farms that had gotten um, some tillage. So that's really, really interesting, but it does beg the question of maybe not, maybe diversifying your planting dates intentionally if possible a little bit what do you think about that you could you could you know it's like i always say too is that um and it looks like it's going to apply to this year you know every year in my experience there's a worst day or series of days to planted corn or soybeans and you don't know till after the fact and, and so you know generally I, I think it comes down to if conditions are fit you plant and some years that's just that's just how farming is let's just let's just say that that's how it is <laughs> that you just happen to have picked as it turns out that inopportune time but you had no way of knowing you have to go with your experience and such um mm -hmm. over the years and what i'm going to be curious to to uh hear Ashley, and then we'll move on and talk about uh, your corn observations uh, by maturity. But I know as I get to the northern part of my territory that I'm going to expect to see later planted beans be in, in a number of field situations underperforming because of the fact that we, we turn really dry and planting depth became a significant mm. factor and we had some beans very uneven coming up in those driest areas and i think of that particularly as i get uh north and, and west so up towards uh the uh towards mcleod county uh carver county areas uh, where there was a lot of beans that went in quite a bit later 
and it just turned off dry. And and folks were, were weren't too concerned because we'd been getting the rains, weren't too concerned about planting depth on the beans and ended up having some uneven emergence in those mm. soybeans. But um, Ashley, uh, why don't you share um, your observations um, by maturity thus far on, on corn and uh, performance in our product knowledge plots and what you're hearing and seeing in the field on the later maturities compared to some of the earlier maturity products. Oh, you bet. Okay, so we mentioned we have 30 of our replicated core PKPs off, so that's a 96 to 106 maturity there. And then I have summarized this morning five late sets that represent a 105 um, and then up to a 110 maturity. And so a couple of things on that. Um, the average yield on that 30 locations that represent the 96 to 106, the average yield right now is 219 bushels. And then my average yield on those five locations that represent later hybrids is 207 bushels. So that is a 12 bushel increase for our core set. Now that's not apples to apples because those are 30 sets versus five sets. But the interesting takeaway there that also streamlines into field observations is typically when you have these later maturities, that's when you see the big yields, the big AGI numbers coming in. And so far, that's not what we're seeing. And as I scan the individual ways on these locations, I don't have anything above 240. When I scan my 96 to 106 sets, I've got numerous ways above 250. So that's what the data is showing us in the field when we have these two sets together, which we don't always have them together because it it takes up a lot of space. It's a big plot for the cooperator. But I've had a couple that were together. And I happened to get to be at the plot when it was harvested. And we go 96 to 106. We start seeing those big numbers creep up the 99 day, the 104 day, the 105s. We get to the 106 and then we go to the later maturities and and it stabilizes or goes down. And in the the assumption is or the speculation as it stands right now is that as we got further into the growing season, our soil moisture became increasingly depleted. So the earlier you set up yield as a hybrid the better off you were in your final outcome. There also was the third week of July, three days in a row that were above 90 degrees that depending on the planting date and when the hybrid silked, it intersected with potentially, depending on those variables, it intersected with a, a really stressful period to be in, in an early reproductive stage, like really early blister where kernels are much more subject to be aborted than if when they're in late blister into milk. Um, so I think that's playing with some of that data on those later hybrids too, depending on the planting date. Now I do have a couple examples of um, some some late corn. I'm thinking like PO953 AM for us locally that's performed really well. But I think if the planting date was early enough and the conditions were appropriate, it, it intersected with with a good um, environment, but it's going to be really dependent. Um, what are you seeing on that, Jay? Well, Ashley, <clears throat> and I think it's important to state again, you know, you're, we're looking at you know significantly more locations on the course set compared to the late, but I, it's interesting because I had one of my product knowledge plot locations where we have the entire set, the core set, so all the way from 96 on up to uh, 110 day maturity. Um, and um, that one has not been harvested yet. But as I walked 
that plot and you were with Ashley when you're on the employee tour about a month, uh, close to a month ago now. And, you know, I could see it in that particular plot as well, where we got to the 106 day maturity. And after that, you could begin to see that the ears were already tipping down signs of some of the stress of the fuller season products that still had a ways to go yet much further to go than the you know 104 and earlier and they were already saying we're done we've mm. had it and it was a later planted plot location um, but i do think and i can't prove this scientifically <laughs> but i also think you have the component of the stress the heat and the dry i also think that you get to a certain point in sit the month of september that the days are getting shorter it may be hot during the day, but the days are getting shorter. That the corn plant is sensing that the end is near um. and it starts to shut down, you know, saying, okay, you know, I'm ready to go to the retirement home. It's, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's what it, it, it appears to me. So as we get more data in, it'll be very interesting. And I think what we will be able to do is run some comparisons, year over year comparisons to some of our full season hybrids to say some of the 104, 105 day products and make a comparison of what we saw a year ago in previous years and then plug in this year's data and, and see what we're seeing as far as a, a relative comparison to um, Ashley. So um, lots for us to, um, to to grind through yet. And, and actually also lots of us encourage listeners to share their observations with us um, as well. They, they each know how to find us, whether it be our email or our cell phone, uh, to, to shoot us a text or email and let us know what they have going on, Ashley. Yeah, absolutely. And I had one more thing on Corn Jay. Um, absolutely. Before we keep moving, I we had talked about the corn on corn versus corn on soy, soybean location. And I, I just wanted to share that really quick because that one has been, has been a unique and really cool um, opportunity to look at the the yield penalty of corn on corn. Um, so we know we, we always have some degree of yield penalty that we try to overcome with corn on corn by having um, more nitrogen up front or attempt, attempting to have good nitrogen availability to that crop preferentially when it's corn on corn early versus corn on soybeans. Um, we know stand establishment can be a little bit more of a challenge with corn on corn versus corn on soybeans. So there are nuances. So every year it it's it's different, but this year, as it's a drier year, those differences are exacerbated. And so as we look at this location, it's really interesting. This is a farm in Faribault County that the farm was split where half the farm had been corn last year, half of it had been beans. And there was an acreage along the road. On the one side of the acreage, we had a plot set planted on beans. On the other side of the acreage, we had a plot set planted on the corn ground and they were planted on the same day, same planter, same farmer, same fertility management, both sprayed with fungicide at the same time, both harvested at the same time. So really, really neat data. Um, and as you looked at the comparison, the set that was on corn on soybeans yielded 48.7 bushels more or 21% more than the set that was on the corn ground. Um, and then Jay had a wonderful point as we were looking at this data. He had asked about the difference between the early and late maturities. And the early maturities preserved their yield better in corn on corn, just generalizing that was 108 and earlier versus um, 
the the later maturity getting in the 109 up to 114. So I had speculated that that was inherent differences in in their ability to preserve yield on corn on corn. But Jay mentioned that we have to think about the crop running out of water or becoming more moisture shows, particularly in corn on corn, where corn utilizes more moisture than soybeans. And Jay, I looked this up the other day, I had a heck of a time finding a source, but I finally found a source that showed me that on, on average, that corn uses about three inches more water a year than soybeans. I'm sure that's like a ton of range depending on a lot of factors. But I thought, okay, well, we went in minus three inches, presumably, on that side of the farm, and three inches made a big deal this year. So 48.7 bushels, 21% was the difference, Jay. Ashley, what I like about that that three-inch number here is that there are some folks in my area that they that would be half of what they got for their total <laughs> rain this year. So yeah, that 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 is a big number um this year ashley so uh ashley you know i i see we're you know a uh, quick 15 and we're at 20 minutes into the Oop. podcast here so i you know i think we got to preserve we got to leave some of our material for next time um but uh one thing i wanted to wrap up um started out talking about gdus and uh you know where we're at for growing season so this time of year of course then the question comes up okay what about fall nitrogen applications and soil temperatures so i pulled up the data from the southern research and outreach center as of uh this morning so this is uh thursday the 12th of october and uh soil temperature at wasika was um, 55 degrees and um, that's tracking right with normal. We had been trending above. Now, the last couple of days has brought that down. So we're right on the line of the normal trajectory. And so assuming we continue on that normal path, we typically feel on average that the 21st of October is that the magic date when we hit that 50 degree soil temperature, we're then applying fall anhydrous ammonia is considered then to be a best management practice. Certainly fall uh, anhydrous ammonia with a nitrification inhibitor uh, is, is where we're looking. So uh, we're a week away from doing that. Um, I think we're going to have some good conditions. Hopefully we're not going to have excess rain where we ought to be able to get that anhydrous put on in, in good shape this fall yet, Ashley. So um, any last comments from you before I close out the show, Ashley? No, that's perfect. Thank you, Jay. Uh, listeners, uh, you can follow the podcast now on Twitter. Our handle there is YFO Agronomy, or you can follow me personally, my uh, Twitter or X account, as it's now known, is uh, at SeedZeek. Uh, Ashley, where can listeners catch you? At Ashley Storby. And uh, listeners, you can join us on the next episode of Your Field is Our Office uh, as we discuss updates from the field. And Ashley, one of the things I want to share kind of as a teaser for the next show, want to talk about the edge effect on corn yield. As I've been riding combine, riding grain truck with folks, hearing some comments about, well, you know, this clethodim that my neighbor's spraying on his beans to control his volunteer corn, I think is having an impact on our corn. And I'm not saying that isn't so, um, but I think listeners will be interested in hearing. I think we might have a guest next week to share some of the research out there regarding that edge effect. So that's our teaser for next week. Uh, so listeners, you can join us on our next episode as we discuss that and more. Thank you for listening. This has been episode 51 of your field is our office. Be safe and stay healthy. <laughs>